And that's why we're here this morning, Lord, because we know that you are our God and, and we're your people and you are the one who who fulfills our desires and we thank you for that. And, and we just pray that now as we, we come to your word that you would use this as a time to, to speak directly to each one of us, Lord. We, we come to your word regularly because we need your guidance and we need to hear from you. And so we pray that you would do that uh, this morning through your word, Lord, that any anything that may distract us, anything around outside here that may distract us, but even anything inside of our own hearts, like fear or anxiety, anything like that, Lord, push it off to the side so that we could hear you speak and we could hear you speak clearly and powerfully this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Genesis chapter 2. And our bulletin says that our passage, um, which is right, this is what I told Sandy, I just added another passage last night. Um, so Genesis 2, 21 through 25, but I'm also going to read um, verses 8 and 9 from chapter 2 as well. So Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then if we jump to verses 21 through 25. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's the word of the Lord. Well, this past week I was thinking... Um, and realizing that um, there's a level of sadness that comes at the end of a good meal, a really good meal. And that may sound a little melodramatic. I thought that's kind of melodramatic, but, but it's true, right? If you've had a really, re I mean, like think about the best meal you've ever eaten. And all of the tastes and all of the textures and how all of that worked together. And, and you're eating that and you're enjoying it. And then all of a sudden the meal is over. There's no food, but you want more, right? You didn't want that moment to end. You, you still want more of that. And so there's like a little level of sadness, like, oh, I wish I could have more of that. And there's different ways you can respond to that kind of feeling in that moment. On, on the one hand, you can kind of sit there and try to resist that longing for more, right? And you can almost um, in your head say like, well... I mean, the meal wasn't that good. It was, it was good, but it wasn't that good. I really don't need any more. I mean, come on. Um, and just try to ignore that desire for more. Um, but on the other hand, you can say, you can just indulge that desire for more, right? And then you just go to your cupboard and you open it up and you just start eating 
whatever you can find and eat until you're so stuffed that you can't move anymore. But you can also just sit there. And you can sit there and remember how good the meal was and then allow that kind of longing inside of you to give you hope and joy for the next meal to come. You don't have to suppress that desire. You don't have to try to indulge that desire, but you can let that stir hope and excitement within you. And, and one of the interesting things is, is really every, every religion is trying to answer that question. Um, every religion is trying to answer this question about how am I happy? And because we're just desiring creatures, what do we do with this desire that we have within us? Um, you have to do something with these desires in order to be happy in the world. And so you have some religions like, and th this is going to be very simplistic, but, but some religions like, like Buddhism that are going to say, actually, the problem is, the reason you're not happy is that you have desires, period. If you actually, and, and so they would say that the solution to your happiness would be, don't desire anything. And they have all of these practices to try to kind of overcome your desire, become one with the universe, and they decide that if you don't desire anything, you will never be let down and you will always be happy. But on the other hand, you have other religions that are fall under what you'd call like a hedonistic religion, which is, they say, um, the reason you're not happy is you want things and you don't have them, so go get them. Every single one. If you have a desire, you fill that thing. And then you'll be happy. It doesn't matter what you fill it with, just something. So if you desire this, you know, if you want a cheeseburger, get a really bad cheeseburger, it'll be good enough, it'll fill something. And so you just kind of go after every single desire you possibly want. And uh, some people have characterized these two kind of responses as one being more along the lines of a like starvation diet and one being a fast food diet. Um, not just with our eating, but our, like, just desires in general. On the one hand, people are saying the reason, the way to be happy in the world is just to starve your desires. Starve them completely. Don't fulfill them. Shut them down. And the other one is, like, fast food diet. Like, I'll eat whatever I can shove in my face as long as it does something. doesn't have to have nutrition. doesn't have to be good. We just are going to put it in there. And neither of them are Christian. That's one of the things. The Bible actually, even though you can look through history and you can see Christians throughout the ages who have fallen off of one side of the horse or the other into one desire, kind of one ditch or the other ditch, neither one is Christian. The Bible never tells us that we should shut down all desire within us and just do everything out of duty. Um, it, it never tells us to do that. Or it never tells us to just remove ourselves from the world so we don't desire anything. But on the other hand... The Bible never tells us that we can just do whatever we want and fulfill whatever desire we have and just follow our heart wherever it leads. The Bible doesn't say that. And actually, the Bible describes the Christian life as eating at a banquet table. Um, or or the, the imagery is repeatedly a wedding feast, which is this glorious banquet. And that says that's actually what eternity is going to be. Us sitting at a wedding feast, enjoying a banquet where there's the best of foods, the best of wines, there's friends and fellowship and celebration and joy and satisfaction all wrapped into that. And yet, the interesting thing is a wedding feast isn't about the meal. 
right? You don't, you don't go to a wedding feast really just to eat. You're there because the meal is actually pointing. The joy of the meal, the satisfaction of the meal points beyond itself to the wedding itself, the joy of, of the wedding. And so the meal and all of the desires in that meal are pointing to something bigger and greater uh, beyond it. And so when you go through the Bible, you, you can see that God has created us with desires. I mean, look at that first verse I talked about in Genesis 2. The Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Um, now, notice that. How did God create the trees? Did he create them just good for food? No, he created them to be pleasant to the eyes. He didn't have to do that. He could have created everything really boring and just said, you know what, food is just there to give you energy, so I'm going to make it boring and bland. You just shove it in your face and, and give you some energy and go do something. But he didn't. He created it beautiful. So that when you would see an apple or a pomegranate or some kind of food, you would see it, and he would say, that's beautiful, and it would stir something within you to desire to eat it. God created things that way, and we know this. Um, the world knows this, right? Marketers know this, right? Marketers know that they can put a picture of some kind of food on a billboard, and you'll be driving down the road, and you'll see that food, and it'll stir a desire within you, and all of a sudden you'll be craving pizza or pasta or a burger, or whatever. They know that God created us with this desire in us, and so they try to use it for their own purposes. Um, and, but the God created food that way. He actually created food to be good to the eye, so that it would stir a desire within you. You would eat it, you'd be nourished, and you would find joy in eating, eating food. Um, but we also see it at the end of chapter 2, when God creates Eve, and, and brings Eve to Adam. I mean, God creates Eve, right, from, from Adam's rib, and then he presents Eve to Adam, and she's, as uncomfortable as this may make you, she's naked, standing in front of Adam, and Adam looks at her and says, I guess you'll do, right? No! He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You'll be called woman, but she was taken out of man. I mean, this is, this is Adam's way of saying, this this is good. This is very good. And you can't read that. I mean, you can't read Adam's response like a robot and say, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I mean, because it's not. It's all full of desire and emotion because God has created them to be together. He has designed us to have certain desires. And God created them that way. And actually God created Eve and Adam in such a way that their desire would be stirred up to the end where it says, a man's going to leave his father and his mother and he's going to hold fast to his wife and they will become one flesh. That's, there's a lot of euphemisms going there, but I think you get the point. That God created us with those desires. They're good. They're at the core there. And God says, that is good. It's actually very good. God said. And it's interesting as you go through the Bible how much the Bible just talks about desire in general. We don't talk about it much, I don't think, 
just because we're all kind of Midwestern folk and we're kind of reserved with our emotions. Some of us are, um, and some are not as, not as reserved. But either way, we don't talk about it much. But um, think, about, think about the psalm I read at the beginning of our uh, service today. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's filled with desire. Or, or Psalm 73, it says, There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you, O God. Nothing on earth I desire besides you. And so you read through Scripture and you see that there's this desire created in us for God. He's the There's this thing planted in us to seek God, to crave God like a thirsty person, and to desire to be with him over anything else in all of earth. But we talk about that, we kind of know that, but the Bible also talks about just our own desires. Um, there's a passage that makes some of us uncomfortable because it's been misused so many times, but it's still in the Bible. It says in Psalm 20, it says, May God grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all of your plans. And people get nervous about that because they think, well, really? God's going to do whatever I want? And people have used it that way, but it's still in the Bible that God says he's going to grant you your desires. Now, it gets corrected when you read another passage like Psalm 34 where it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? So the correction comes in and says, well, if you delight yourself in the Lord, if you, if you crave God, if you desire God, then your desires get reordered, and then God is going to give you the desires of your heart now that they are right. But, but don't miss the, the main part is that God actually is going to fulfill your desires, he says. As he works in you and as he shapes you, you have these desires within you, and God's going to fulfill that. And we're even commanded multiple places in Scripture to desire things. And in 1 Corinthians, it says, it tells us we are to earnestly desire the, the higher gifts. And then later it says we are to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Like there should be something in us stirring our heart, stirring our soul to want to have certain spiritual gifts. These gifts that are used to build up the body of Christ. And that's supposed to be like aching in you. Not just desiring it a little bit, but it says earnestly desiring those gifts. But we're also told in Psalms, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, and they are more to be desired than gold. Even much fine gold. They're, they're actually sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So it says we are called to desire God's word. There's something about God's word that should stir something in us and stir up desire for it, that we think God's word is actually sweeter than honey or the richest milk chocolate in the world. And we kind of get that because I think the church has emphasized these over the years. Like, of course, yeah, we're supposed to desire God. We're supposed to desire his word. We're supposed to desire these things. But what about, what about the things of this earth? Like, what about the trees and the sun? Like, can we have a good desire for those things? And actually, I came across a passage this week that really jumped out at me in 1 Timothy, where they have really strong words for people who tell us not to desire things that God has created good. 
1 Timothy 4. Listen to how he describes these teachers. The Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Right. So this is really strong language. It says, all right, they're, they're deceived by spirits, they're teaching the teaching of demons, they're, they're, uh, they're liars, their consciences are seared, seared. Now here's what they're teaching. They forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Think about that. He said these people who are, who are leading people astray and who are, have a seared conscience, they're teaching people, don't get married, it's too dangerous. Don't eat these foods, it's too temp there's too, too many temptations there, just stay away from it. Kill those desires. Don't desire any of these things. And Paul says, the, the Bible says, hey, that's not how God created the world. He actually created food, good, to see, to enjoy. He created marriage, good. These desires within us are good. And if you are telling people to stuff them and, and keep them away, then he says you're actually distorting the way that God has created the world. Um. I decided to throw one more in there, one more passage in here that might make us a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to read it anyways. It comes from Proverbs, and it's a command in particular to a young married man, um, but it works for any married couple, really. But here's the command to the young married man. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and always be intoxicated in her love. Now, man, that's a command from God. <laughs> and he told you, do this. I created you with that desire to be used in the right way and to be used in the right places, but that's a desire from God. And he says, do it. But the interesting thing, and you've maybe heard me kind of making this qualification throughout, one of the things that, that every one of these passages, they talk about all these desires within us. One thing that they never say is that we are told to just embrace desire for desire's sake. There, there's always some kind of a, a check on it. So yes, we see that God will, God promises to give us the desires of our heart, but he says he'll only give us the desires of our heart when we desire him first or above all things right and so there's a check there and we're told that yes we are to desire good food and marriage and all of these things we're to desire those but we're to receive them as gifts from god which means we need to use those things the way that god has intended them to be used um, which is why proverbs says desire without knowledge is not good um, i'm going to say that again desire without knowledge is not good. And as I read that passage this week, I thought, that has gotten me in trouble over the years. This idea of desire without knowledge. I, I, I'm kind of one of these personalities um, where I can get really excited about something and then I just jump in with both feet and sometimes go in over my head. Um, and so as, as a kid, I was someone who really, really, really liked riding dirt bikes. I had 3,000 acres in Montana and a dirt bike, and I just rode it nonstop. But I also liked watching um, dirt bike racing. And so I loved watching them. They'd whip around corners really fast. They'd hit these big jumps. And one day, 
um, I was watching dirt bike racing with my, it was just me and my brother at home, my parents were both gone, and we were watching dirt bike racing, and as I watched these guys hit these huge jumps, I was like, I need to do this. I really, really need to do this. This desire within me to hit this jump was really big. And so, and I've been jumping my bike quite a bit, but this time I decided I was going to jump it as far as these guys were. And so I knew how far they were jumping. And so I took my brother out and used him as the marker post. And so I would, I would hit the jump and then I'd have my brother stand. You know, he would stand like, all right, you, you jumped to here. And then I'd go around, I'd hit the jump again and I'd go further and he would move over and he would say, you landed here. And, uh, Eventually, I went beyond the limits of my equipment and my skill or my knowledge. Um, and at a very high speed, I landed on the front tire of my motorcycle and went over the handlebars. And my brother said all he saw was a tangled mess of body parts and motorcycle parts tumbling across the side of the hill. Um, he came running up to me and said, are you dead? I was fine. Um, my parents probably didn't know about it until now. So <laughs> the point is, desire without knowledge is not good. Um, for me to go out, I desired, the desire was okay to, to do something like this, but I didn't have the knowledge, I didn't have the ability, I didn't have the equipment to do it, and I made a mess of things. I, my dirt bike was a mess. I, I took a while before me to get back on it. If you embrace all these desires and you jump in without knowledge, without direction, you make a mess out of things. I mean, you'll make a mess out of your life as well. But we also need to understand that these desires are really kind of at the core of, at the core of who we are. And that actually underneath everything we do is a desire. Um, every single action you make um, started off with a desire. I mean, it sounds really simplistic, but why do you do the things you want to do? Or why do you think, do the things you do? Because you want to do them. Even, and this sounds paradoxical, even the things you don't want to do, you still do them because you want to do them. Right? Why do you, when you get up in the morning, you say, I don't want to go to work today. But then you go to work. Why did you go to work? Because you wanted to go to work more than you didn't want to lose your job. And so there's this desire underneath everything, stirring all of our, all of our actions. The Bible even talks about that. It talks about desire. In James, it says there's this desire in us. And then it says, then desire, when it can, has conceived, it kind of grows with it as it gives birth to, to sin. And then sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And so it talks about, on the one hand, the, the bad things or the sin in our life comes from these desires that are wrong within us. And you know that. You've, you've looked on something and you've desired it and then you kind of, and it kind of grew until you acted on it. But it also works the other way too in, in a good way that when our desires are renewed, we, we see things, we desire them, and then it changes the way we act. Which, which tells us we, we really have to, our, our desires are a powerful thing. I mean, they're, they're very powerful. It actually is at the core of all of our action. And, and what we need to do is we need to shepherd, shepherd our desires. And, and notice, I'm, not, I'm saying shepherd, which means kind of guide and direct, right? That's what a shepherd does with sheep. A sheep's trying to run off in a direction it's not supposed to go. And he doesn't just go over and kill the sheep and just say, no, don't do that. He, he goes, no, go over here. Go, go this way. This is a better way. And we need to do that with, 
the desires in us too. When we notice a desire kind of running off in a different way, we don't just kill it and say, no, that's bad. Don't do that. Um, we have to like shepherd it and, and bring it back and direct it into the right place. We don't just indulge it either. Like, oh, this is running off here and this is going to end bad, but I'm going to indulge that desire anyways. We have to shepherd it and direct it. But it's a reminder that, and I'll tell you where this is getting even more practical in a little, in a second here, but it's a reminder that when our desires are all messed up, um, so is our, our life gets all messed up as well. And, and one of the real practical things to understand in, in all of this is that um, the only way to truly overcome a desire in your life is with a greater desire. And I want to say that again because it's, I think it's powerful, it's, it's really important truth, that the only way to overcome a desire is with a desire that's more powerful. And if you think about it, um, if you want to start losing weight, how, how do you do that? Well, there's a lot of things you can do. But when you, when you actually do it, there, there, one reason could be you, your desire to actually be healthier becomes greater than your desire to eat unhealthy foods or whatever, right? Or like the example I gave you before, when, when, you, when you go to work in the morning, you have a desire not to go to work, but you end up going to work. Why? Because there's a stronger desire within you to not lose your job or to provide or to do what the work that God has called you to do. But it also comes down to just addictions. How, how do you overcome an addiction in your life? Whatever addiction it may be? How do you overcome that addiction? Well, there has to be a, some kind of stronger desire within you to overcome your desire for that thing that you're addicted to. Um, it's really the key to overcoming any, any sin in your life. Uh, there's, a, there's this quote from C.S. Lewis that's really um, probably his most famous quote. Um, and it's talking about our desires and the Bible. He says, if we consider the, the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, right? So it's talking about, you read through the Bible, you see reward after reward after reward promised to God's people. He said, when you understand that, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, we are, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. It says we're far too easily pleased. So it's not that our desires are too strong. We desire poor, pitiful things that are way less than what God has designed or created for us. And the good news in all of this is that in through Christ, our, our desires are renewed and, and redeemed, and, and even people use the language of are reordered to be done rightly. Of course, we know that, that Jesus, you know, he lived and he died and he rose again so that our sins would be forgiven and so that we would have eternal life with him, but he also did all of that so that we would be renewed in our bodies, in our souls, and so that we would be made holy. And that means that our desires, the core desires of our soul are renewed so that we actually stop desiring wrong things and we start desiring right things. 
Galatians says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, or the desires of our sinful nature, or these desires that get us into a mess. You're not going to desire those in Christ, but instead, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. He says we have these desires, these sinful desires that are part of our sinful nature, and they're going to try to lead us toward death and destruction. But in Christ, he starts reordering our desires so that we desire the things of Christ. There's spiritual desires, and that actually includes marriage and food and family and all of these good things that God has created us to desire. And so we struggle with this. We're going to have this wrestling match through our whole life, but Christ begins to renew and restore these things. And just to wrap up and to tie it in with, with last week, you know, last week we talked about this idea of restlessness, right? How, how our hearts are restless until we find our rest in, in God. And really that rest that we find in God is really just the satisfaction of our desires. That's, that's what it's called. This, the desires that we have finally find their fulfillment in, in our God. And that we realize even that all of these desires we have here are pointing beyond that thing in itself and pointing us to God, who is truly uh, the fulfillment, the epitome of everything we desire. And, and we read these psalms that say, God, nothing I desire compares with you. And that's what Christ is, is doing in us. He's, he's working in us so that we go through life and, and we desire things rightly, but ultimately our desire ends up being for Him. And so we remember that God created us with these desires, and we're going to talk about all of these as we go through the rest of the series, and these desires are good. Um, but Christ is in us, redeeming us, reordering our desires, so that ultimately in the end, our ultimate desire is going to be for God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and uh, continue to give you thanks for being our God. We, we thank you for the way that you created us. Thank you for creation, that, that we can see the beauty and the glory of your creation as we stand, as we sit out here this morning and Lord, and we thank you for creating something in us so that we desire these things. We, we long for them. But ultimately, Lord, we thank you for creating us so that we long, long for you. And Lord, we know that we often fall short. We often fall short in all of this. We don't long for you. We long for other things that are much less pleasures. Much They're not really even worthy of our longing, and yet we do that, and we get ourselves in trouble and mess. And Lord, we pray that you would you'd forgive us for the ways that we fall short, that you'd renew us and cleanse us, and that, that you would work in us so that we would desire what is true and, and good and, and beautiful in the world, Lord, that we would desire the things that you've given us to desire. So, so work in us, Lord, to, to do that, we pray, and, and help us to be a people in the world who are living out the joy and the fulfillment of, of a life desiring you. Father, we pray that we bring you glory and honor through, through every part of our life. And all God's people said, Amen.